How many have been able to, to kind of watch? I didn't get to look back. I, I would encourage you, if you can DVR it, do whatever you need to do to watch it when it comes on demand. It's been really good. And I, it's been really like a God thing that they've kind of lined up with the messages. I didn't do that on purpose. There was not some sort of, it was, it was neat to see how that was unfolding for me. And I was in the grocery store the other day and this is kind of picking up some, some speed. There is a lot of people who don't go to church, don't know anything about Jesus watching this. At the grocery store, it was on the cover of like People magazine or something and how this is really affecting people's view of Jesus and so forth. So we thank God for that. And that's why we decided to kind of piggyback on this AD TV show that happens on Sunday nights. It started Easter night. And we started as well in this series AD. And it's really what happened after Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead. And what happened to his early followers. Really, it is just a portrayal, dramatic portrayal, of what happened in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the book that immediately follows the Gospels. And it is the story of the early church. It's the story of how um, the disciples took the message of Jesus and really really rocked the world with it. I liked down that video how they used the song, we will, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's an old Christian song. Maybe you guys sang when you were, you were young in, in the faith or whatever, but it echoes what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is on your notes and it'll be on the screen. Jesus told his disciples, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's authentic Christianity. That is what authentic Christianity looks like when we love one another. It marked the early church. Love and unity marked the early church as we're going to read about here in just a second. That's what we're striving for as a church. To be a modern expression of what the early church did and, and, and what they looked like. They lived in community together and they did life together and they impacted the world around them with the gospel and with the love of Jesus. And I was thinking about what is authentic Christianity. You'll know it when you see it. You will know authentic Christianity when you see it, when you're amongst people that are genuinely loving one another. It's a, it's a fragrance that attracts people to Jesus and who he is, even though people are imperfect and people make mistakes, when that love and unity is there, it's very attractive. I know for me, when I, before I became a Christian, I was hanging out with some people who didn't, didn't, uh, I didn't know the Lord. I wasn't following the Lord, but they were hanging out with some people that did. And I was like, I want what they have. How many experienced that in your life? You were around people. You're like, man, I want what they have. And so it was an, a fragrance, an attraction to it. One guy said this, though, and this is kind of the antithesis of that. He said, many churches keep a record of their, how many conversions happen in their church. And he said, but they fail to keep a record of how many people they turned away. <laughs> and sadly, that's true. Many people's experience of church was something that turned them off. It turned them away from, from, the, from the faith or what Jesus really was about. And you know, authentic early Christianity, the early church, had some distinguishing marks about them that I think help us to understand what authentic Christianity looks like. It, it, they had something that verified that they were really disciples of Jesus. 
Um, my grandpa, John, my dad's dad, obviously, duh, he, uh, he was a huge sports fanatic, and he was a bellhop all of his life, and he, he worked in New York City in some of the big hotels in New York City. He worked in uh, downtown at the old Brown Palace when, here, and then at some hotels in Atlanta, and he was not afraid to talk to anybody. My grandpa, John, he would talk to anybody and he loved sports. So famous people would come in and he would get their autographs. And we have like notebook after notebook of like old, really old, awesome autographs. Some are like presidents have gone by, but most of it is baseball. Go figure, right? It's been passed down in the DNA from, from a long time ago. But we have this one autograph. And it is a Honus Wagner autograph. Now, anybody that knows anything about baseball, Honus Wagner played in like 1910 through that era back at the turn of the last century. And Honus Wagner's baseball card is worth $3 million today. If you had a Honus Wagner card, it came on an old cigarette carton. And so if somebody has that, they have like $3 million. Well, one time I took this Honus Wagner autograph to the mall when they were having an autograph session. I said, tell me what this is worth. I was like, you know, first kids, college education, what paid for, whatever it is. I was, I was pumped. And so they, I brought it to the guy and he said, oh man, he goes, uh, I don't know what that's worth. He said, you got to get it verified that it's really legit. And it's this really old paper. It's fragile and it, it's dated like 1926. And so he said, I had to send it to New York to some verification company that will verify whether it's real or not. So I got to put this in the hands of somebody else, trust that it'll actually come back and be verified. Well, I've never got around to do that yet. But I was thinking about that when it, when it comes to Christianity. Many people want to verify, is this the real deal? Are we the real deal? Is Jesus the real deal? And because of sometimes his followers, people don't see the the authentic part of what Christianity really is about. But Jesus gave permission to those that don't follow him to know who are really his followers by how they love and treat one another. And that's scary in itself. He gave permission. He said, you want to know who are my disciples? Walk into Novation Church on a Sunday morning. And do they have love for one another? Do they forgive one another? Do they care for one another? You'll know who are my, my disciples. Let's read in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, what happened is, and they're going to portray this tonight in the show, was the day of Pentecost, early in Acts 2. The day of Pentecost, if you're new to the scriptures, was Jesus told his disciples that he was going to pour out the Holy Spirit. After he ascended back to the Father, he was going to pour out the Holy Spirit. That, that the Spirit wouldn't just come on people, he would come to dwell and live within his believers. And so they, he told them, go wait and pray. And so for 10 days, they waited and prayed in the upper room. And finally, bam, one day the Holy Spirit came. It said as they were praying, he fell and there was like tongues of fire over their head. It was a supernatural experience. And they began to speak the glory of God in different languages. And there were people that were gathered in Jerusalem from all different countries and different, different tongues. And they're, 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 they heard the glory of God in their own language. And they were like, what in the world is going on? Like one guy even stood up and he said, man, these guys must be loaded. And, and then Peter steps out of the room and he says, no, they haven't been drinking. It's nine in the morning. And he goes on to preach a message about who Jesus is and, and what he had done for them and who he was and his glory. P- 
Peter preached this message in in supernatural power. And it says that they were cut to the heart. To their very hearts were, were cut and said, what shall we do? I'll pick it up in verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Something that's authentic, it's genuine, it's true to the original, it's real. What is it? Well, in that passage, I believe we see five things that make what authentic Christianity is really about. And the first thing I want to tell you is authentic Christianity begins with supernatural conversion. It begins with a supernatural conversion of the heart. Peter told them, repent, be baptized. Repent and be baptized. What does that mean? That is the conversion experience. To repent means I was headed in this direction. And I stop, I turn around, I go a 180 and I go in the opposite direction. From this point of view spiritually, to repent means I've been living for myself, my dreams, my purpose. What do I want to do with my life? Do things my way. And to repent means I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin and believe that he died on a cross for me and that he rose from the dead and I give my life back to him and my life is no longer my own, it's his. And so that's what conversion that happens of the heart. He says, repent and be baptized. I think it's key to bring up the word baptism. What does that mean? Just a few weeks ago, we had a baptism. Four people uh, got baptized at the Weston Hotel to show that they are want to follow Jesus and, and they're obeying the command of Christ to, to be baptized if you're going to follow him. Um, to this morning, as we dedicated our children, notice we didn't baptize. One day, every person is responsible to make that decision that I'm going to follow Jesus. And it doesn't, the age is, you know, you know, when you know, when you're, when you're ready, if you're raising someone in the faith or if you're older and this experience happens in your life, say, I'm turning from the old and turning to Christ. I'm turning from self and sin and I'm turning to Jesus by faith and I'm going to follow him. Well, Jesus said that was the first act of discipleship is to be baptized, is to identify with Jesus in his death, burial and his resurrection from the dead. And so sometimes there's certain people that teach that baptism saves you. It's called baptismal regeneration. That's not in the Bible. The water itself is not magical. It's symbolic. When you go down, it's a symbolic of what happens spiritually. That you, the old you was here. You died with Christ. You're raised to new life. So it's symbolic. It's sacred because we're obeying what Jesus said to do. 
But, you, but baptism itself doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus is what saves you first and foremost. Baptism is a response to what's gone on in the inside of your heart. But, it, but this supernatural conversion, it's a change in direction. It's important, though, that I tell you this. Drama is not necessary in your conversion experience. Now, for me, I had a pretty dramatic conversion experience. I mean, what I was doing the weekend that I became a a follower of Jesus was overnight, boom. I mean, and that's the way my life changed. Many of your lives were that way. My brother Mike had a dramatic conversion experience. There's a young man that's been coming to Novation named Jaska. He's helping with our youth, and you'll, you'll, you'll meet him. He told me about how he came to Christ Uh, A few years back, radical, man, dramatic conversion experience. But my wife, Janelle, her conversion experience was not dramatic. It was a process. And there wasn't this, you know, this day where she could mark it down. This was the exact day. And some, that's not, that's not what matters. What matters is, has it happened? Many people in this room, and I love this about our church. There's many people who have, you've been hanging out with Novation for a year and little by little day by day you're learning more about Jesus you're learning more about the scriptures and you're you're in you're in that process of belonging before you believe but that day has come for many of you you said man I'm a believer now I'm a follower I'm going to trust in Jesus and you've acted on that so drama is not 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 what's necessary what's necessary is that it's happened let me focus for a second on that supernatural part Here's what Jesus told a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus came and asked Jesus some questions. And Jesus told him that unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, what do you mean? How am I going to enter in my mother's womb and be born again? He said, no, not physically, spiritually. I'll pick it up here. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone born of the Spirit. The supernatural part of conversion is not what you do. The supernatural part of conversion is what God does. He says no one can see or enter the kingdom of God unless they have been spiritually awakened. This is so important that you, that you capture this in your heart and that you capture this in your understanding. And if, if it doesn't make sense to you, myself or anybody would love to talk to you more about how important this really is. Because if that's, the, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve, the, the first people that God created, he told them, he said, you can eat of all these trees In the garden. They were put in the garden. He said, you can have any of these. He said, but I'm going to reserve this one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't want you to eat from that one. Don't eat from that. He said, if you do eat from it, what did he say would happen? You'll surely die. Well, Adam and Eve didn't die physically. They they ate. They felt this shame all, all of a sudden on them. They realized they were naked in this. What had happened to them? They didn't die physically. Spiritually, they They died. They unhooked themselves from, from their connection with the life of God in their disobedience to what he, had, what he had said to do. And they died spiritually. And that spiritual death has been passed on from generation 
to generation to generation. Sure, people are walking around physically alive. Their heart's beating. Their lungs are breathing. They can feel. They can feel pain. They can feel pleasure. They can have emotions and talk. But spiritually, they don't can't comprehend truth. Spiritually, they, they can't see their need for Jesus unless this supernatural conversion happens. You got to get that. And Jesus says the wind blows where it wants to. So it is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Um, Paul put it this way. You're going to read about a church that he planted here in the book of Acts in Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians, he encourages them about their experience of this supernatural conversion when he says this. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Here's my question for you. Has there been a decisive moment in your life? Drama not necessary. Not even emotion. Often emotion does come with a conversion experience. But has there been a decisive moment where you said, yes, I'm going to turn away from sin. I'm going to turn away from self. And I'm going to give my life to Jesus and ask him to forgive me of my sin and be my Lord and Savior. And trust him with my life in this life and the life to come. Has that happened? Again, the process is okay. Many of you have been on that process. You don't have to have it all figured out to put your trust in Jesus. I think that's a stumbling block for many people. If you have questions, if you have doubts, then maybe I can't really be a follower of Jesus. No, if you have doubts, welcome to the club, right? How many know what I'm talking about there? Jesus' own disciples doubted him. The ones that walked and saw him resurrected from the dead. Come on, you're going to have doubts. But take your doubts and follow him and put your trust in him and watch what he'll do. How do you know that this conversion experience has happened? How do you know? Well, first of all, you've believed in your heart and you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You know that you've put your faith and hope in him and you confess that with your mouth. You can know that that experience has happened. We'll talk more about that. Second mark of authentic Christianity is this. It's sustained by having the right convictions. It's sustained by having the right convictions. In Acts 2.42, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Some translations say that they, they gave themselves to these things. Devotion is you give yourself to and for somebody. A married couple devotes themselves to each other. Here's the good news. Jesus devoted himself to us first. So that we can devote ourselves to him and to his purpose for our life. And, and the things that, that matter most to him. This is where conviction comes from. Conviction, the root of that word is what? You're convinced of something. When you get convinced that these things are important in your life, they become con convictions. And at Novation, at this church, we want to be like the early church where they were, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? The apostles' teaching would be, you find from the book of Acts through Revelation. And you have the different apostles of Jesus, Paul, John, Peter, you know, different disciples, James, the writer of Hebrews. They were, the apostles' teaching was an understanding of all of Scripture in light of Jesus. That was the apostles' teaching. They took, the, the, the only Bible the, the early disciples would have had would have been Genesis through Malachi. 
And they would have had the old, just the Old Testament. But in seeing what Jesus did, they wrote down the life of Jesus. Those are the Gospels. Those are the biographies of Jesus. And then they began to teach about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean? How do we do life? How do we handle certain things in our life? How do we do church? What's most important? So authentic Christianity is directed and dedicated to Scripture, to the Bible. Then they, they were devoted to the fellowship. What is fellowship? Well, fellowship is where Christians come together not to have donuts and coffee, although we're good at donuts and coffee and breakfast burritos most Sunday mornings, right? But I thought there was going to be like maybe a mob this morning without the breakfast burritos. You guys handled it very well. You acted like Christians this morning. Good job. Some of you are like, man, where's my breakfast burrito? (laughs) Anyway, um, fellowship is where we live in community together. We do life together. We share this common faith. We share common love for God and for one another. And we have the co- a common purpose and a direction. It's relational. To be part of fellowship is relational. There's an epidemic in America of churchless faith. Where people say, Man, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to church. I don't like church. I got burned by church, whatever. And honestly, that, that is, that's not reality. It doesn't work. Many have tried that before and you've realized, man, to, to, to think I'm going to follow Jesus without being connected in fellowship with other believers, it just doesn't work. We're warned in the book of Hebrews to not forsake the, assemb- the fellowship, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in corporate worship and time together in, in scriptures. Sure, we're going to disappoint one another. We are going to offend one another. We're going we're gonna to bug one another. That's called be- reality, right? That happens in family. It's going to happen in a church family. My thought on that is, is, listen, be realistic when you come into any church. Set the bar low enough that you, as Paul said, make room for one another's faults. Somebody's going to offend me. Don't leave church over an offense. Don't, don't stop coming to church when you get offended or something happens. Come expecting it to some degree. That might sound weird to some of you, but it's so easy in our culture to not deal with the offense and not have authentic Christianity and forgiving one another and speaking the truth and love for one another and, and overlooking one another's faults where we can just zip to the next church and hope that it won't happen there and it happens there and we go to the next church and on and on and on. That's not authentic Christianity. That's American Christianity, the urban American Christianity. So, but set the bar so high that when, when an offense happens or someone has an, a, a fault or whatever, and we're so good at overlooking and forgiving and, and helping one another and speaking the truth in love. So I hope that makes sense. Breaking of bread. He said that they were con- convicted and devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. I believe that means taking communion regularly, but I also me- believe it means eating together. Now, how many know Christians are good at eating that's that's christianity 101 right that's why it's it's good food in in eating together but but come to church early and be part of the cafe there's food and come and build relationships don't just come right at 10 o'clock and and leave right when the bell rings like it's class or something like that to to be part of fellowship and to have authentic christianity is to learn how to build some relationships together and then they devoted themselves to prayer and the prayer 
is, is obvious. Corporate prayer, seeking God for one another and on behalf of one another is vital. We have a prayer meeting that we just started and it's Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock at the church office. Me or Mark or both will be there every Tuesday. And if we have to find a bigger room than our office, we will. Because that means more of you are, are able to come. If you can swing by for a half hour or so, please do. That happens every Tuesday morning. Third mark of genuine Christianity is this. It's, it's held together by common unity. It's held together by common unity. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common. Man, the early church had a radical togetherness. It was radical how they did life together. Marked that New Testament church. I found a a quote, a couple quotes about the early church. That the Romans, the Roman government would take note at how the Christians took care of one another. And a famous quote that the Romans would say is, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. And let that be true of this place. That even people who who don't believe would say, man, see how they love one another. Let that be true of all the churches around us that are genuinely following Jesus. Justin Martyr, who was an early church father, he sketched Christian love this way. He said, we who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else... Now bring whatever we have into a common fund and we share it with anyone who has needs. We use it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now because of Christ, we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies. That marked the early church. That common unity is that we have that same goal. We're going in the same direction. Purpose. I said common unity. You might think, don't you mean community? Yeah, but that's really the root of community is a common unity. And we need to remember what unifies us. And this was important to Jesus, who we follow. Jesus in his prayer in John 17, he's praying to the Father for his disciples and he's praying for us. And he says this. He says, I pray that, that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, check this out, so that the world will believe you sent me. What's at stake in our love and unity together? It's that people will know Jesus is the real deal. When they see love and unity in our lives, people will know that he's real. The body of Christ spends a lot of time fighting and bickering about a lot of petty things. I've been a Christian long enough and been in ministry long enough to see it. Churches splitting over things and all the denominations and different things. It usually comes over a a secondary issue that somebody makes, you know, an essential. We got to know how to separate essential Christianity from non-essential Christianity. Love and unity authenticate our lives as as followers of Jesus. Paul put it this way. This is one of the early kind of creeds. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And if he was from Georgia, he would have said in all y'all, right? I always want to say that. I hear a southern accent when I read that passage of scripture. All y'all. We need to focus on what unites us. 
more than the potential of the things that divide us. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, so understand the things that unite true believers, we will be able to see error quickly and we'll walk in unity. And people will know that, that, it's, that it's real. There are some non-negotiable truths when it comes to Christianity. It's not anything goes. If someone says that they believe in Jesus, there are certain things that you, you must believe to be a Christian. It doesn't mean you understand it, but you believe you, believe you see it in, when, in Scripture and you're learning and, and, you, and you agree with what Scripture teaches about that. I believe that the Apostles' Creed, and many of you maybe grew up saying the Apostles' Creed. Many of you maybe don't even know what the Apostles' Creed is. The Apostles' Creed uh, supersedes both the Roman Catholic Church or any other organized thing. And it's a summary of what the apostles taught. The apostles themselves didn't write it. But back in, in, you know, a few hundred years after Jesus, before somebody was baptized, they would say the Apostles' Creed as their confession of faith before they got dunked in, in, into, the, into the water. I want to read it to you. Why don't you, you read this, this with me? I put the Apostles' Creed up for you. Say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Christ's universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. That's essential Christianity. And it's important that true believers are unified by that creed. Fourth thing that marks authentic Christianity is it flourishes when everyone contributes. Authentic Christianity flourishes when everyone does their part. It says they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This contributing is not communism. It's generosity. It's a generous life. This doing life together and contributing to the well-being of the church is a generous life. It's a generous heart. You know that in the typical church in America, 20% of the people give and serve. 80% of the people just show up and, and, and take. I don't believe that's true at Novation. It may never be true at Novation that just 20% of the people serve and 20% of the people give. May, may, may we strive to be people that we're all contributing with our time and our talent and our treasure. Today, listen, I want to challenge you for your benefit, not for my benefit or, or anybody else. First and foremost, if you're not contributing with your time, talent, and treasure, then you're missing out on what authentic Christianity really is about. This is a team thing. This is all of us together on a mission to bring the love and grace of Jesus and the gospel to the world around us and to encourage one another and to do life together. That takes total contribution. If we, if we all did it together, if we all participated with our time, talent, and treasure together, who knows 
what we could do in impacting the community and the world around us. And they were consistent in this, in their contributing. And pursue consistency in your relationships. Pursue consistency in how you love and care for one another. It says they met together every day. I'm I'm a realist. We probably can't meet together every day. But you know what you can do? You could take... Uh, Pick up your phone and text somebody and say, I'm praying for you today. How can I pray for you today? Facebook, uh, whatever other social media, uh, old-fashioned phone calls are a good thing. You know, this one, you know, I was thinking about you praying. We need to care for one another. That's why we have home groups. That's why we have core groups. That's why we have opportunities to come on Sunday for cafe and classes and just serving together. And building those relationships. If you feel lonely today, I would encourage you to take a step to, to you know, relationally in, in both serving. And you'll build the friendships that are needed. Then lastly, authentic Christianity stays focused on bringing people to Christ. A true faith brings people to Christ. True Christianity says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Authentic Christianity is a missional faith. It's in, what does it mean to be missional? It means that you and I living here in Denver, Colorado, or wherever we live, we live as if we lived in Burma, where 99% of the people don't believe in Jesus. And we live as missionaries on our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and in our communities. And, it's, and we see the world around us as an opportunity to, to share with the people around us the same love we've received in Christ. That it's not somebody else's job. It's all of our jobs together as a team. Authentic Christianity has always been missional. And it's intentionally doing that. You know, people are starving for true community. People are starving for purpose. The beauty of authentic Christianity, authentic church, is when people find both community in in love for one another and a purpose in life that's living for something beyond just these days that I have here on this earth. We get to be his hands. We get to, to be his feet. I've been hearing stories about people uh, from my brother Mike's home group who are street witnessing. And they're going out and they're, they went to DIA and just random people. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And, and going to Boulder and different places. And some of you, that might sound a little radical. But man, that, that's, you want to talk about you're sowing seeds. And you're doing what Jesus talked about doing. The early Early Christians always street witnessed. Um, we have a group of people that go to Global Refuge, a ministry that we support. Do you know that in the Denver area, there's a load of refugees from Burma, uh, Sudan. So, and mo- a lot of these are just Muslim uh, people, but they're over here and they don't have anything. So there's a group of folks that have been going. You're going to hear more about this here in the near future, how you can participate and bring groceries to them and just build some relationships. There's opportunities around us all the time. One of them I wanted to share with you, Marianne Garland and Tanya Garwood are going to come out here. And I've asked, uh, Marianne has been really touched by an opportunity that she's had recently that she shared with me about what, what had a ministry that she's being able to serve and how you can actually be part of that. Okay, this is what my nightmares look like. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I've been doing some work at Denver Children's Home. Um, that is a 
It's a residential facility in Denver. It's off of Albion and Colorado, so Colfax and Colorado. And um, there are 40 kids there who live there. They live there. They go to school there. They go to therapy. Their whole life is in those four walls. These are kids who... There's not orphanages anymore, but for all intents and purposes, this is an orphanage. This is where they live. And these kids are there through no fault of their own. They're normally kids who have been abused and neglected. And um, they just really need people to get involved in their lives. They know that the people who work there are nice, wonderful people, but they know that those are people who are hired to take care of them, that that's their job. So... Um, what we do is we go in once a month, we bring them food, um, and we play games with them, and just talk to them. We get to know them, and each month it is like Christmas for them, for me, um, for everybody who volunteers. They are so excited to see us. They make food requests um, for meatloaf. <laughs> so if you can imagine where you have been in a setting where your biggest desire is not lobster, it's not steak, it is meatloaf. <laughs> we brought them fried chicken a couple weeks ago, and you would have thought that it was the greatest thing on earth. Do you, do you feel that it's because, like, mom, it's a, a sense of family out of something it like that? It is a sense of family. They look forward to us coming. There are lots of groups that come and volunteer, and they just feed them and they leave. And they don't really get to know them, and that's fine. You know, everybody does their own thing, but we really like to be involved and get to know these kids individually. And while we're there, because it is a charity that's run by the state and gets state funding, we can't talk about God to them. We can't really talk about Jesus. We can't bring that to them, but we can be Jesus. We can be the things that we're supposed to be. We can show that to them and show that kindness to them. And I know it sounds absolutely depressing. It sounds horrible that you're going to sit with all of these kids. Um, and normally there's 40 kids there, but some of them get in so much trouble that they're not allowed to come down. This is considered a privilege. So um, normally we see about 20 kids tops. So, um, but I brought Tanya along one time because I wanted her to see what we were doing. And because the Garwoods have a tendency to push me into doing things I'm uncomfortable doing, like standing here. <laughs> so, um, Tony could tell you about more what it's like. Um, and Marianne, by the way, she brings a bingo game. The kids absolutely love it, and she is the master bingo caller. Um, they love her there. She definitely meets the kids where they are. These, yes. <laughs> And by the way, these kids are ages 11 to 17. They're not just older teenage kids. Some of them are very young, and they do love this group that comes. They, all we do is we sit at the table with them, and we eat with them. We talk with them. We play games with them. We brought candy for bingo prizes. That was pure gold for them, just a package of candy, so... If you're so inclined, we would love for you to come volunteer with us. It's a couple hours, once a month, and it's very, very rewarding. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, one of the bonuses that we get for doing this is that um, they send us letters. 
This is from a girl named Heather. I will not read this whole thing, but she makes the best use of every inch of her paper. (laughs) But um, I wanted to read something that she said. Um, She wrote to us and she said, when you and all your wonderful friends come, I just have this amazing feeling of joy, even when I'm having a very bad day. The part that I enjoy the most is that each of you have completely different personalities and then each of you have one thing in common and that's kindness. It is really cool that you guys are a group of friends who bring miracles to people like us who may not have had so many miracles happen. I really appreciate how much you guys come, how much you do when you come because it means a lot to me and I know I can trust you guys to be nice and accept us for who we are, good or bad, which I think is really just how God sees us. (laughs) So... We just try to be the church, and we would love some extra help. And Marianne, you said there's a need for men, right? Oh, yes. Um, So lots of women go to this thing, and it's a lot of girls. And there are half of the people there, half the kids there are boys, and they really need good role models. They, all of them, but the boys in particular, they need people to see their, their gifts. We have a lot of writers in there. We have athletes. We have jokesters. And they just really need people who care and that people they can depend on because these are kids who have really not had anybody who they were supposed to be able to depend on show up for them. Thank you very much. There's your opportunity. You can, you can be part of that. And it's a continuous thing, not just a one-time deal. So. so this is separate from what we just talked about, but, um, Before you leave, please come back to the Ask Me table. There's a table full of beautiful jewelry that's been made by a group called the Lily House, which is in the Dominican Republic. Everyone that went to the Dominican Republic got to see this this, um, orphanage. orphanage. It's, It's for girls who have been in prostitution and have been able to be taken out of prostitution. They make this jewelry. It's all handmade. All the proceeds from the sales will go right back to the Lily House. So what's on the table is all we have left. We've already sold almost a whole table of jewelry just this morning. So please go back there and buy some jewelry. It's great Mother's Day presents, guys. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Give these guys a hand. You can see Marianne afterwards as well. Marianne will hang out back there if you have more questions. But would you stand to your feet with me? I want to pray as we go this morning. Thank you to the family and friends that were here uh, on behalf of the child dedication. That was a really special time. Thanks for, for being part of that and for everybody that's here. If you're a guest with us today, um, we're delighted that you chose to, to be with us. Let us know how we can answer any questions. There's going to be some folks up here if you want someone to pray with you. If you have questions about Jesus, if you have questions about whether you're really a Christian or not, there's going to be some folks that would love to help walk you through that and talk you through that. And what's your next step if, if today you're making that step and saying, you know what, I want that supernatural conversion. I want to follow Jesus. I want to put my life in his hands today. Uh, today's the day. I mean, don't put it off. If you're on the fence, I would challenge you today. Put your faith and your hope and your trust. Receive the forgiveness from Jesus that he died in your place for all the wrongs you've ever done. He gives you new life. He asks you today to repent and to trust. We're going to have a baptism again here in the real near future for anyone that's thinking about that or you're ready for that. Don't let anything hold you back from obeying Jesus. 
Father, we thank you for our time together. Thank you for being such an amazing God. You're so gracious to us. God, we humble ourselves under your hand. We know as a, as a church and as a people, we don't have the be-all, end-all on anything. But we do have you. Therefore, we have everything that we need. I pray for us as a body that we would walk in authentic Christianity. Lord, that we would walk in love and unity and truth. And we'd impact the world around us. Thank you for what you've done and are doing and are going to continue to do. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great week.